This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. The Changeling is an ambitious new series spanning generations and continents to tell an epic tale of a family torn apart by spirits and fairies. It stars Lakeith Stanfield as Apollo, a new dad whose dreams of fatherhood morph into nightmares following the birth of his son. Apollo's rude awakening sets him on a horrifying journey to confront his demons, past and present. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about the Apple TV Plus series The Changeling on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today is the host of Weekend Edition Sunday, Aisha Roscoe. Welcome back, Aisha. Glad to be here. Yes, great to have you. Also with us is culture critic and reporter Mark Blakenship. He's the author of The Lost Songs Project and the co-host of the podcast, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Hi, Mark. Welcome back to you, too. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yes. So in The Changeling, Lakeith Stanfield plays Apollo, a rare bookseller, and Clark Bacco plays Emma, a librarian. They fall in love, get married, have a son, but not long after the birth, Emma begins exhibiting increasingly odd behavior and becomes convinced that the baby is not, in fact, a baby. Sometimes I look at Brian and I don't think he's my son. Maybe it's his eyes. Now, when a horrific event occurs and she disappears, a distraught Apollo sets out to find her. He eventually encounters an isolated community living on the fringes of New York City. Cal, played by Jane Kaczmarek, is their leader. The show has been billed as an odyssey and a fairy tale for adults. I feel like that's kind of appropriate. Um, Apollo and Emma's story involves spirits, demons, fairies, and it also includes flashbacks to their troubled upbringings and complicated histories with their parents. The Changeling is based on the novel by Victor Laval, who narrates the series. And it was created by Kelly Marcel and Melina Matsukis, directed the pilot episode. It's streaming now on Apple TV+. And we'll probably get a little bit into some spoilery stuff, so just a heads up, although we're definitely not going to be talking in depth about the last few episodes because by the time this episode drops, the last few episodes will not have aired. So don't worry about that, but be warned, there will be a little bit of spoilery for the first six episodes. But yeah, so let's get into it. 
Aisha, I believe that you were really all in for this show. Tell us why. Well, I was. I, you know, and it, it was a surprise for me because I was interested in it. It looked like an interesting show concept. You know, I love fantasy, anything that's not quite reality-based, you know, and I love horror, of course. Yes. And it looked like it had, like, a little bit of that, but I was kind of, I went into it and I was like, is this going to be like Peter Pan? Is this going to be kind of like, because looking at the trailer, it was like, you could see the wife disappears, he looking for her. Oh, love. <laughs> when I, what I got into was much darker. Yeah. But for me... I love the darkness. I'm like, bring on the darkness. Bring on the scary. So for me, there were parts where it was scary. When it came to this baby and when it came to the wife, there was a part where she got really like the girl from the ring. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there. It's dark in the house. And I'm like, do I need to turn on the lights? Like, what's... (laughs) And she's like, it's not a baby. I'm like, hold (laughs) up. Like, what is... Where are we going with it? And it just went from there. Yeah, yeah. And then when I realized he won't chasing after his wife to save her, he was chasing after her to kill her, I was like, <laughs> yes, this is for me. And so I was all in. And But, you know, besides the fact that it went with the darkness, I feel like they had some great performances. And I feel like the way they did it, it was very smartly written, even though it's very fantastical. They were able to anchor it in a way that it worked. Mm-hmm. And so they did a very difficult thing by making this into a story that works with characters who you care about. Also, I would just say Lakeith's mother in this show is amazing. Lillian. Yes. They did a great job. Yeah. Um, Lillian is actually played in the present as Adina Porter, so the older version. And then in the past, Alexis Louder plays the younger version. So, Mark, how about you? Were you into the fire and brimstone and <laughs> of it all? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, I am a sucker for any show where this poster on the back wall is a hint about what's going to happen later. (laughs) So there are so many things in this show where the characters walk by these posters and the poster says something like, dream of flight. And you're like, oh my God, what does that actually mean? And then he's on the subway and she's giving birth to the baby. And then somebody has spray painted something on the wall that's like, babies always know what time it is. And you're like, what does this even mean? I have to tell me more. There's also the Stevie Wonder quote from Superstition uh, that's all over the place. It's like, if you believe even things that you don't understand. Don't understand. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also, I honestly do believe that pop songs, if you listen closely, do have things to tell us. So I'm just like, yeah, it's great. Yes. And I'm also really here for very mythic feeling elements like don't take off this red bracelet and then he cuts off the red bracelet and you're like no No. so i knew from the beginning i was going to be into this show because it had those big mythic cosmic undertones and i just love greek plays this feels like it's rooted in that i mean one of the characters is named apollo yeah so i did feel like there were a couple of things that we could talk about later that gave me a bit of pause but for the most part i was all in and i completely agree with you aisha about the performances They make this mythic thing feel like it's grounded in reality, and it's so much easier to care about it because you feel like you're watching real people get sucked into something enormous and cosmic rather than watching people sort of playing gods, quote unquote. And I found that to be quite gripping a lot of the time. Yeah, like jumping off of the performances, I mean, I want to anoint Lakeith Stanfield as one of our greatest 
uh, eyeball actors. <laughs> oh. There has to be a better way to fr- phrase that. But like the things he's able to communicate with just his eyes and he Daniel Kaluuya has the same ability where it's just like you look at him and then you feel the world could just like wash up inside his eyes and his he pupils. Like he got it. He's got it. And <laughs> I'm curious because I think I was a little less high on this than both of you in part because I like horror, but I'm not so big on fantastical okay. things, you know, right. witches and stuff. I'm like, eh, and I don't, or not even witches, but like fairies. I'm like, I don't know if I care about this. Uh, but I was drawn in by the performances. I was drawn in by just the sheer ambition of all the stories it's trying to tell. But I also want to ask you, like, what do we make of Apollo? Because he is, to me, I found him very unsettling. Mm. And I think that's not like a bad thing. Yeah. But his he has this desperation to become a father in a way that kind of gives off, like, to me, alarm bells. Like, okay, why is this the thing that you are most excited about? On their very first date of Emma and Apollo. Right. It has all the, to me, the red flag signs where it's like, <laughs> hold up, girl. And she even kind of exudes that a little bit in her responses to him. Let's actually play just a little moment of their first date where he's like talking about how how badly he wants to like be a father. Frankly, you're the most gorgeous person I've ever seen, <laughs> ever known. I mean, your soul is... My soul? Yeah. Dude, no. I mean, think of the kids we'd have. Kids. I never cared if I had a boy, a girl, oh. twins. Okay. A pop Triplets, quadruplets. Seriously. This is their what? first date. <laughs> He's already saying. It's not necessarily him talking about parenthood, like, whatever. But, like, the fact that he says, think of the kids we'll have. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> my dude, <laughs> come on here. Yeah. Did something about that feel kind of sinister in the way that it did to me? I don't know that it felt sinister to me. I mean, it felt like they were both, him and Emma, were just, like, kind of... Um, I don't know how to say that. They they felt like they were just kind of those flighty, hippie people. Oh, I'm Apollo. And she's saying her thing. She's doing the witty retort back. They were just like, you know, wild, zany people. But then I do feel like Lakeith became a father. Like, obviously, you know, he wanted to be a father because his father was horrible and left. And, all. I, you know, you get that he wants to be what his father wasn't or even though he loves his he loves his father though very much even though he seduces his wife in exactly the same way that his father seduced his mother because you cannot escape destiny you can't can't escape it so it's like he doesn't want to be his dad but he is his dad but i think that what we see of him as a father is a father who does not listen to or respect his wife and her feelings. Mm. Um, and that yeah. he totally ignores her and does not see her yeah. nor properly the baby, you know, in, in reality. Right. So right. I think we do see that in Lakeith. I liked him better after the fall, meaning after the bad things mm. happened, then I felt like he mm. became more real. And there were points where I felt like he did become almost like the audience, like when he actually gets to the island and stuff. And he's like, what are you talking about? What are y'all saying? Like, I feel like he was speaking for the audience like, this is crazy. Do y'all know this is crazy? Yeah. And then when he was going to kill her, I was like, that is what a real person would do. So the respect came after the fall. It came after the fall. <laughs> like he respond- I do agree with you. I don't know how much you respond after your wife ties you up hits you in the face with a heavy object and takes your child. He was mad in the way that 
I would probably have been mad too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yes. (laughs) But I will say that for me, because of the way that the opening of the show played out, I immediately understood all of these characters as being in a myth. And if you're in a myth, you don't really get a choice. Mm. Your destiny is in the stars. And it is really kind of stalkerish the way he talks to her Mm -hmm. and creepy. But if he's in a myth then he has to talk to her that way because this is how it has been fated that it's going to play out. And so yeah. I got sort of interested in watching the moments when the character started to push back against the story that they were in, if you know what I mean, when it seemed right. like they were getting irritated or angry or f- afraid inside of this destiny. So watching, for instance, Apollo get on that island and suddenly just be like, I can't play along with this anymore. What is going on? Mm -hmm. That felt really exciting to me because it felt like somebody in a myth fighting against a myth. But that, I guess you have to sort of buy into that as a way to watch the show. And I can definitely see that not everybody's going to look at it through that frame. But for me, that gave me a way in and to enjoy that part. I think that's a great point and one I hadn't thought of before. And I think that does make it work for me on a different level now that I think about it in that way. I also think it's just really interesting. And him, his character being weird and unsettling is not, to me, a knock against it. Like, I don't, for me, that's not what doesn't work. It's just more, I find it very interesting because I think what drew me most to this show wasn't necessarily all the fantastical elements. It was more so that it really seems to be tugging at these ideas of parenthood and what that means, and especially what it means along gender lines and how, you know, at first we think that Emma is possibly going through postpartum depression, but then it's something way bigger than that. But even when we think that's what's happening, even when Apollo seems to think that's what's happening, he doesn't really treat her with like the care. He's not there for her in the way that she needs him to be. Right. And he's very dismissive. I think it's probably clear to listeners at this point that none of us have read the book before. Um, so that we were all coming to this very fresh. But I thought it was really interesting, and it sounds like this is what also happens in the book, that there's this idea of there are all these women who have done really horrible things because of what motherhood did to them or how it's messed up their psyche, but they're not necessarily villainized in the way that you might expect it to be. Did that ring true to you as well, that it felt like there was a little bit of empathy there for them, especially Emma? I would say absolutely. And I actually found it kind of moving to think about that there is this hidden island in the middle of New York City where women have to go to be treated like human beings, essentially. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really... um, tragic and powerful that even in the biggest city in the world, they have to kind of go to a hidden place in order to just be listened to and to not have men immediately decide that they're villains. You know, whether or not I ultimately agree with all of the actions that the women on the island make, it doesn't matter. It's just I've been forced to at least understand that they didn't just fly off the handle like a hysterical lady the way that all the men want them to. Yeah. And so all the stuff that happened on that island to me made was probably my favorite part of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, and this is probably, you know, this is my my darkness. I was a little disappointed that the witches turned out to be like nice people. I wanted them to be evil. I, I wanted them to be like, this is that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I let everybody be evil. I'm a little bit like that. I'm a little bit off. So I'm like, oh, they had their reasons, child. You ain't got to have no reasons. Like, let's just go for it. But I do get what they were doing. Just be evil. It's It's okay. okay. I mean, I would have lived for that. Like, if they went to that island, they were all evil. I would have lived for that. But, you know, I get the larger point of, like, how women are not believed. And certainly I can understand how, as a mother, 
the idea of sacrifice and what you give up mm. and losing yourself and who are you without this motherhood or this wifedom or whatever, you know, like who are you outside of all of that? I, I totally get that. So I, I do, I respect what they did, but I would have been okay if they was just all evil. Oh, Off that point, I mean, is there any, this, this combines so many different genres, horror, mythology, mysticism, fables. Is there anything besides the, the witches not being evil, like anything that doesn't quite work for you or that you anything that stands out as more effective than the others? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> you mentioned all of the genres that the show does have. The one genre it doesn't have is comedy. And I just started to feel like eventually you can make a joke, y'all. Like there's magic and fairies and there's underground worlds and hidden worlds. And like occasionally things can be funny. And the show is so serious that there is one point where a character, William, who we learn is actually very evil, is screaming the phrase boiled vegetables. And it's supposed to be terrifying. And I'm like... You're just screaming what the lunch lady gave me today. Dinner plans tonight. A meal inspired by baby Brian. Boiled vegetables. But his voice was so amazing at that moment that it was, <laughs> it was like, it was oh, my, oh my goodness. <laughs> but I was, oh. I was just like, did nobody stop and think that maybe there are le- more terrifying things you can say <laughs> than boiled vegetables? I mean, it's kind of like red <laughs> rum, yeah. right? Well, it's the context <laughs> of it because she had that boiling water and the yeah, say they yeah. do it on the, the baby, so... <laughs> But there was there was just that one moment where I was like, if this show ever let me laugh once, maybe I wouldn't be laughing so much at this. <laughs> I mean, hats off to Samuel T. Herring, who plays William, who... So good. He's not... His character is not quite what he yes. seems. Uh, yes. <laughs> we'll put it that way. I can see the comedy, the unintentional comedy of that, but I found that part actually kind of legitimately horrifying. But maybe that's just, just no, me. No, I, I felt like that was horrifying. I did. I thought it was funny, like I said, when Lakeith was on the island and they kept saying crazy stuff. He's like, do you hear what you're saying? None of what you're saying makes sense. Like, what are you talking about? I think some of the development of Emma, to me, was mm. a bit... I didn't get all of it, right? Like, I felt like, and yeah. I don't know if I'm using this right. To me, she, like I said, she seemed almost like a, a pixie girl, like a very, like, oh, wow. Like, I had the same kind of reaction. And, but, yeah. but with Spunk, I felt like she was, they like, when they were playing her as this kind of, like, spunky, wild spirit, I didn't feel like it worked as much. Yeah. Like, I feel like she was much more interested when she was evil and being like the ring girl. Now, when she was like the ring and she was moving like that, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I can't take my eyes off this girl. But when she goes back to just, I'm a mother, I'm going to get my baby, I lost interest. Can I be honest? Yeah. I wanted more from her, yeah. especially because she does have this history and they do go into that. She went through some tragic things as a child, but briefly. But it's so brief. Yeah, it's, it's very so brief. brief. Yeah. She definitely feels less developed than Apollo's character because we have his mother mm-hmm. in the picture, both in the past and the present. And his mother, I mean, this episode is. Not has not aired yet, um, but the penultimate episode, it's focused entirely on her, his mother, in a way that, like, we don't get the same with her family. And so it does feel like a case that, like, once she, you know, chains him up and disappears, it really becomes mm. Apollo's story more than it does her. And that does feel a little bit of a disservice. But I also wonder, 
you know, again, we haven't read the book, but based on a few reviews, it sounds like, and the way the season ends is with this sort of like dot, dot, dot at the end of it. And it made (laughs) me feel, I feel like this could have been a whole just tight eight episodes. This series goes so many places. And I think that like there are some places we didn't necessarily have to go. How did we feel about the wishes? Because I feel like that was such a big part of the trailer. And then I don't feel like the wishes was a big part of the series. That's That's a fair point. (laughs) There's a lot of questions. (laughs) The other thing about this show that did make me feel a little crazy is it seemed like every 15 minutes they were making you go, oh, this is important. Pay attention to this mysterious detail. And then it'll be something like, what's Mm. the third wish? We never hear what the third wish is. And then they just kind of forget about that for seven hours of my viewing life. (laughs) Maybe pick two super secret things I'm supposed to figure out and not like 32. <laughs> That's my thing. It's like, what is going on with this wish? They keep going, the wishes. The wi-. And, and they played up the wishes. And I'm like, well, what the heck going on with the wishes in the stream? Where's that at? I never told you what my <laughs> yeah, third wish yeah. was. Uh, what, what okay. Was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a show and I applaud it for being the type of show to some extent where like you really need to be paying yeah. attention. You can't just like have this in the background while you're doing other things. But at the same time, there were certain things like the wishes or like, you know, other things where even if you are paying attention, it does not actually reward you as a viewer. And I was like, this is <laughs> that that was my biggest, biggest gripe with this. Uh <laughs> yeah. I can't disagree with you there. And I just was wrapped up enough in how beautifully designed it was, how well acted it is, how essentially interested I am in this type of story that I watched the whole thing. But hearing your points, Aisha Harris, I can't disagree with you. It definitely feels like eight episodes total might have been enough to tell this story instead of making me come back for more. At the end of that last episode of this season, which again, has not aired yet, I did think, well, dang, they got me. Now I want to know what just is what's about to happen. So they did enough to make me want more. And if I don't get it, I'll be mad. And my third wish that I would get to learn more won't be granted at all. <laughs> That's definitely my third wish. It's like, can we get another season so we can finish the story and, and find out what the daggone third wish was? <laughs> Well, I feel like that's a perfect note to end on all of our wishes. (laughs) And if you've watched The Changeling, you should definitely let us know what you think about it. And if you have lots of questions about it, too, let us know, because this show could be a little confusing sometimes. (laughs) You can find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Mark Blankenship, Aisha Roscoe, thank you so much for being here and parsing through this I don't know. I don't even know how this odyssey. That's what it's called. This odyssey of Emma and Apollo. Glad to be here and glad it wasn't just like a Peter Pan love story. (laughs) And now I'm hungry for lunch, so I guess I'll go make some boiled vegetables. Oh, no. (laughs) Boiled vegetables. Uh, this episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. And Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. 
Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR.